We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome to a bonus edition of the Rotowire NBA podcast. It is Wednesday, November 25th. I'm joined by James Anderson, uh, who contributed a ton to our pre-draft coverage, uh, as well as uh, a number of other NBA offseason items uh, with, with baseball. James' normal focus being in uh, its offseason as well. James, you and I never really got a chance to speak in depth uh, after the draft. You know, we were in communication the night of talking about Tyrese Halliburton falling, things like that. But we, we haven't really done a full postmortem. Uh, and I, I don't want to go super deep on this. We have some gambling things to cover as well. But in terms of some of the major takeaways from last week's draft, uh, I want to start at the top. And you know, I, I had said on multiple pods and multiple articles that I, I thought – Minnesota would take it down to the wire, but would eventually trade that number one pick. And I, I thought a team like Charlotte would maybe jump up and grab James Wiseman. But on a night when I think we expected to see a lot more, uh, you know, teams kind of moving up and down, you know, it seemed like everybody wanted to get out of those top spots. There wasn't a lot of trading, uh, at least in the in the early portion of the draft. And I, I think it was relatively chalky, you know, with the exception of Halliburton falling all the way to 12. You had Jalen Smith go 10 to Phoenix. Other than that, even not not a ton of major surprises, and I, I think that began at the top with you know Edwards, Wiseman, Ball going in that order. Um, you know, you could kind of quibble about which order you would have had them in, but you know that was kind of the the consensus top three, and that's how it ended up playing out. Yeah, there there were no surprises high in the draft at all. Uh, I think the, the the first time where I was just like whoa was the uh, Suns taking Jalen Smith at ten, but yeah. Um, I mean, I think my prediction all along was that the Timberwolves were going to screw this up. I think they screwed it up. Um, I just don't see how that three-man core is going to work. Uh, they've made multiple moves now where they've treated D'Angelo Russell like he's 
some like multi-time second team all nba point guard uh he's not even close to like a top 30 player in the league in my estimation and i think that when you keep making moves like the the trade to get him in the first place was terrible because that pick's going to be pretty good for for the warriors and uh the decision to basically let him being on the roster affect this pick uh is is my assumption i i think um you know, a lot of teams said they had Anthony Edwards in their top three, but I think most teams, if they had been picking first or second, wouldn't have taken Anthony Edwards because of the amount of risk involved. Uh, so I think the Timberwolves blew uh, having that first pick, um, but we I expected them to, so that wasn't a surprise. And then, um, yeah, I think that the big surprise to me and something that kind of affects my analysis of most of the lottery picks is Halliburton slipping to 12. Uh, he was my number three player in this draft i think he would have been a great fit on a handful of teams that that passed over him and so uh, i think maybe we might be uh entering a new era of king's basketball where they uh they're the sharp ones on draft night i i don't want to give too much credit to sacramento they ended up <laughs> yeah. with the right guy but i mean no one thought he would be on the board at 12 but you could say the same thing you know like one during the watching the telecast there was no mention of Halliburton sliding like it honestly kind of slipped my mind all of a sudden we're at like Washington at nine and they take Abdia or Abdia and I'm like oh my god Albert's still on the board and it was it was pretty shocking when Phoenix passed him up that's for sure uh, I think Phoenix could have traded back and gotten Jalen Smith you know four or five picks later at least uh San Antonio passing on him for for Devin Vassell was also interesting uh but it, you know he lands in a, a pretty intriguing fantasy spot I think Halliburton does in Sacramento with with Bogdanovich being gone We'll see what happens with Buddy Heald. They did just re-sign De'Aaron Fox. So, you know, if, if you think of Halliburton as a, you know, strictly a point guard, maybe that's a little bit of an issue. But uh, without Bogdanovich, I mean, there, there's going to be minutes for him there. I was just surprised that of all the guys who are in that kind of consensus, top six or seven, I was surprised that he would be the one to fall. I, I was with you. I thought he, you know, maybe didn't have that sky-high ceiling, but such a high floor, almost a lock, you would think, to just be a good player um, you know, he, he's the last guy I would have thought that would have slid down the board, honestly. Right. And he just would have been a pretty seamless fit on a bunch of teams that passed yeah. on him, which is why I didn't think he would fall. Uh, you know, I, I think he's kind of clearly their just their third guard for the foreseeable future. I think it'll be pretty tough to play all three of those guys at the same time. If you care about your perimeter defense, just because, you know, Halliburton, I think would be a good defender. Uh, against twos and maybe even some ones, but I don't think he or Buddy Heald is capable of doing anything really against the best uh, wings in the league. So uh, that could be a, a, a drawback in that you might not be able to play those three at the same time very often, but uh, I think he's a, a great guy to have as the guy that's sort of your point guard with the second unit and can play next to De'Aaron Fox because of his shooting. Uh, I thought he would have just been an amazing fit on the Suns. I think he would have been a great fit on the Knicks, on the Hawks. I mean, there were uh, several teams that I think uh, he he's going to end up being better than the players they took with those picks. Going back to Minnesota real quickly, uh, I, I'm with you that I, I think they let the presence of D'Angelo Russell impact this pick. On top of that, then you go get Ricky Rubio on draft yeah. night. And, you know, so even if you had taken LaMelo Ball there, like, does, does that influence the decision not to get Rubio? Like, it, it, you know, if, if Russell is the reason you didn't take him, now you're kind of playing Russell out of position, although we have seen him be okay off the ball before. You're just, and I said this to Alex uh, on the, the pod that we did earlier today, I, you're putting Anthony Edwards, whose development is already very fragile. You know, there's a lot that could go wrong. You're putting him in a really tough spot right away, where if he's going to start, you know, he's a number one pick. Most number one picks are in the starting lineup you're basically starting him at, at the nominal small forward spot. Not to mention, you also signed Malik Beasley, by the way. So you have positional overlap basically everywhere with the number one overall pick in the draft. It was already not a perfect fit before you brought in Rubio and re-signed Beasley. Uh, there, there's a, a decent amount of talent now on this roster, but I, I think I really dislike the fit. And there's a, a pretty major hole up front. You know, As much as we love Jake Lehman, I'm not sure he's the answer for 38 minutes at power forward. No. Um... And if you just the, – the only person who you should be worried about when you're building this team is Carl Anthony Towns. And I know that his relationship with D'Angelo Russell is part of what gives Russell so much organizational power. But 
you basically surrounded Towns now with a bunch of guys who either aren't going to stretch the floor for him or need the ball in their hands. And mm-hmm. every single trip down, you need to be trying to get Carlton Towns the ball. I mean, Malik Beasley doesn't pass. Anthony Edwards isn't a good passer. Uh, D'Angelo Russell in the pick and roll, I'm sure he'll he'll set Towns up a little bit, but he, he's going to be looking to get his as well. And Rubio is, is great at getting Towns the ball, but he can't uh, create that space for Towns. Like, mm-hmm. you know, teams just aren't going to respect him. So, I mean, I think we still have two, like, to me, the Timberwolves and the Knicks have really separated themselves as the two worst run franchises, and it, it goes up to ownership. They continue to just make uh, head-scratching move after head-scratching move with no real clear, uh, bright future in sight. And uh, I think that it was kind of uh, as we predicted, but still I would not be excited mm-hmm. about this as a Timberwolves fan. I think Charlotte maybe belongs in that conversation as well. So we, we have a situation now where the number one and the number three picks don't have clear paths to starting jobs right away. And, you know, maybe they'll both I, be in the I starting lineup. Like, I, I think Paul, Paul's going to start from day one. So who goes to the bench? Rozier? Yeah. Okay, yeah. I mean, that's, it's very possible. I, I Ideally, he does start. Um, but I, I think, like, on paper right now, like, we were hesitant on our road-to-wire depth charts to put him as a starter because we, we just don't know yet. You know, those guys both started all of last year and were both pretty decent. And then you add Gordon Hayward. Um, and obviously this is a situation where it'd be pretty hard to bump Terry Rozier up to like your three or, you know, even LaMelo has a size. He's not, not really a three, When he's out there. He has to be the ball handler. So I, I initially like didn't mind the fit, especially when it looked like maybe they would find a way to, to move a Terry Rozier to make some room. But, um, uh, you know, ball falling to three is all well and good, but he he enters a weird situation now as well, especially with the addition of Hayward. So I definitely think those three guards fit better than the three guards we were talking about in Sacramento because I think Lamelo Ball, while he's clearly a point guard on offense, I think when he comes into the league, you probably want him guarding other teams' threes where he can just at least use his size. You yeah. know, like he's he's not going to be able to stay in front of like a good point guard as a rookie and he's still he's probably gonna be a liability against quicker twos as well so like Rozier could check ones and twos and you just put Graham on whoever the worst guy is so I do think they can play those three together uh I just don't I mean I I shouldn't say they're definitely gonna start ball but I would be pretty stunned if they it would be really kind of pathetic uh, on their part to try to bring him along in like a 20 minute role I mean one of the nice things about having ball is he's going to help your draft uh, pick for next year if you give him as many minutes as you should, like because he needs to go through these lumps he's going to go through mm-hmm. as a rookie and as a second-year player, and you're going to lose a lot of games while he goes through those lumps, and uh, you hopefully get another high pick. So um, I, I thought the Hornets, you know, I think they deserve a ton of credit for not overthinking this, not drafting for need and taking Onyeka Kongwu and just taking mm-hmm. uh, the – guy with the highest ceiling in the draft there i mean i know the hayward signing was just a horrific number uh but i you know the one thing i will say in defense of that is i don't know exactly what they're going to do with that money that wasn't going to end up being bad like yeah like, <laughs> so, so basically the argument is it could have been worse yeah <laughs> i mean i don't know if they're capable of giving out a 20 million dollar a year deal uh that would not end up looking bad as soon as it got signed just because i don't think a player is going to take a fair market contract to go there like that. So correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like the Mavs have always been your Western Conference team. Like you're your kind of secondary team behind the Bucks. Well, like, kind of, it was always like it was in the Nash years, but uh, since Doncic has gotten into the league, it's stepped up in the Mavs. Yeah. Well, since, since you started reading up on Steve Nash's numbers when he won those MVPs, you had to step away. Um, did Dallas just strengthen its case? With, with what it did in this draft. Adding Josh Green from Arizona. By the way, the the over on one and a half cats being drafted in the first round did hit. And it hit at pick 22 with Zeke Naji coming off the board to Denver. Uh, but Dallas adds Josh Green. And then in round, round two, I think it was the first pick of round two, they had Tyrell Terry, who it wouldn't have been that crazy if he was the guy who like went 10 to Phoenix. you know, And, and he was another guy where it, it felt like the ESPN telecast was like not up to speed on how Terry's stock had risen over the past couple of weeks. Like there was really no mention of him falling at all. Another guy that you kind of forgot about until he was picked, but for Dallas to be pretty quiet in free agency, not be super aggressive on draft night. Uh, and then to end up with Josh Green and Tyrell Terry, I, I thought was a huge win, you know, considering they didn't have a pick 
higher than what 18 yeah i i thought that they crushed it uh you know josh green's a perfect fit on this roster they can use all the defensive oriented wings that they can find and then they've had a lot of success with guys like tyrell terry in the past i mean he kind of uh, kind of comes into the league sort of close to Seth Curry uh, from at least from a skill standpoint. I mean, it's going to take him a couple of years to to get to that level, but uh, I thought that was a really nice way to replace him. And uh, obviously Josh Richardson's a, a nice fit on the perimeter for them as well. So I think that they're, you know, they continue to do the, the right stuff. They haven't uh, blocked that 2021 cap space yet. I mean, their ceiling for 2021 is going to come down to, Kristaps Porzingis' availability, and I have my doubts there. I mean, it just kind of seems like we're headed to one of those careers where he's just missing 25, 30 games a year, pretty much every year, and you just you kind of cross your fingers that he's available in the playoffs. But uh, what they've done around him uh, and around Luka has is, is been really impressive this offseason. Uh, Cole Anthony going 15 to Orlando, a little bit higher. Uh, that I, I think you and I maybe would have taken him. I, I keep going back and forth on Cole Anthony, uh, but in, in your article that went up on the site after the draft, uh, you named him a winner. And I, I assume that was mostly because of, of where he was drafted, you know, a little bit higher than expected. But I'm with you. I, I'm kind of intrigued by this fit all of a sudden, uh, whether he's playing, you know, kind of behind Markel Folds at first or alongside Markel Folds. I think he went to a good spot as far as him developing into the type of player yeah, who we've talked about where if he's going to be good in the NBA, it's going to be in kind of like a minor starring type of role. Yeah. Uh, and Orlando was one of the few teams in that range that I think there's a path to offering him that. Yeah, exactly. I think it's uh, a really nice fit. I mean, how long have they been looking for like a true, you know, primary ball handler type of guy and right. Anthony, you know, I'd bet against him becoming a, a good starting point guard, but he has the tools to kind of make that happen. If he can, uh, improve his decision-making most notably. I think he needs to mm-hmm. be a better team player and, and less of a gunner. Part of that was just the team he played on at college with, you know, I think the Tar Heels were playing with two big men like all the time. And Brutal. Brutal and to watch. Just, just a, lot, a lot of bad players around him. So uh, you can't fault him 100% for what happened there. But mm-hmm. um, I I think he's a uh, – maybe more than a dark horse for rookie of the year. Honestly, I don't, I don't know how many minutes he's going to get, but the number one stat that voters look at for rookie of the year is points per game. And he can go get a bucket. Uh, like mm-hmm. right now, I think he could go get a bucket in the NBA. Um, he's probably going to shoot below 45% from the field, maybe even uh, around 40% if, if he's lucky. But you know, if, if he's averaging like 15 points a game this year, that, that might be enough to take down rookie yeah. of the year. Well, we'll get to those odds in a bit, but he's he's sitting at 60 to 1, and I am with you. I, I think at that number, uh, it's worth a little sprinkle at the very least. Uh, before we do get to the odds, is there any one or two other guys that you want to hit on, one or two other teams that you either like or dislike what they did? Um, I thought that the Celtics uh, did a really nice job getting Aaron Neesmith at 14. Yep. Um, I, I liked... You know, the Thunder have had an amazing offseason, obviously, but I thought getting Pokashevsky, that's like the perfect when you're like four years away from contending. That's the perfect guy to take because mm-hmm. you can give him as much time as he needs. And uh, I don't love Presley Shachua, the player, but I just think getting him into Miami's system, he's not going to be allowed to do any of the BS offensively <laughs> that he was doing at Memphis. Like he's mm-hmm. just not going to be able to play if he takes those shots. And they're going to get him into even better shape. And he's going to just, you know, he's not going to have to do too much too fast. And whenever he's ready, he'll uh, get a chance. But, I mean, physically, he's just really, really impressive. So I'm excited to see what the Heat can do with him. I did not like what Detroit did in free agency, but I I was pretty excited about the Pistons after the draft. I I think getting Hayes at seven was was fine value there. Uh, You take Isaiah Stewart uh, with with Portland's pick at 16, and then um, they end up getting their hands on Sadiq Bey from Villanova, uh, who was, I believe, originally drafted by Brooklyn. Uh, that was one of the picks that was passed around 100 times. But that, that was a solid three. I thought, guys, um, you know, Bay's probably the most ready right now. Um, but you get two of those three as, you know, long-term upside plays, talking about a team that's three, four, five years away. Uh, I thought they did a nice job. I'm with you on Neesmith. I thought that was the right pick for them at 14, uh, especially since it looks like teams were a little bit lower 
on RJ Hampton. You know, I think that was a really popular projection, but I don't know. You wonder if maybe he just wasn't as impressive. He fell all the way to 24. It makes, it just makes so much sense putting Neesmith on that Celtics roster because all they're going to ask him to do is just catch and shoot. And that's all he's going to really have. Like in other places, there might've been pressure for him to kind of develop quicker than he's ready to as a, as a ball handler and stuff. But He's just going to be able to develop at his own pace off the ball or on the mm-hmm. ball. And I think he'll be able to knock shots down as a rookie. Um, the Pistons, I mean, I, I would need like multiple charts and spreadsheets to really kind of assess what they did this offseason and, and give it a grade. But I mean, just so many moving parts. But I I think you're right. I mean, I, I on the one hand, I like the Isaiah Stewart pick. On the other hand, the Mason Plumley contract makes zero sense. And I, I just I don't know what they're doing with the roster on the whole, but there are some some solid moves mixed in there. And yet, amidst all that, Derrick Rose remains on the roster. Trade him for a, they're going to trade him for a lottery pick at the, the deadline is is what they would probably tell you. <laughs> the Rotowire NBA podcast is brought to you by BetMGM. Sports bettors know that magic happens when you turn a hunch into action and apply the right amount of expertise. That's why BetMGM has teamed up with Rotowire to offer new BetMGM customers a free six-month Rotowire subscription when they place their first bet. Register on the BetMGM app or website, and once you make your first sports wager, you'll receive a season's length of Rotowire's unmatched sports insights. Find out why BetMGM is the king of sportsbooks by signing up and placing your first bet today. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 years of age or older to wager. Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, Nevada, Tennessee, and West Virginia only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado and Nevada and 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey and West Virginia. In Tennessee, call or text the red line at 800-889-9789. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. Promotional offer not available in Nevada. All right, let's look at the DraftKings Sportsbook, uh, where we always turn for our NBA odds. We'll start with the title odds, which, you know, after after the draft, they're not going to change that much. Most of these teams don't really have, you know, impactful picks coming in. Uh, and even, even after a free agency period like this one, just some minor movement. Uh, Lakers are still the favorites at 3-1. to one. You have the Clippers at plus 550. The Bucks sitting at plus five fifty. Brooklyn at six to one. Boston thirteen to one. Miami fifteen to one. Uh, everybody else is is twenty to one or later. The the biggest mover though by far uh, is Golden State, which I, I think was around six to one, uh, you know, four or five days ago. And and obviously the Clay Thompson news uh, dealing a massive blow to the Warriors uh, just hours before the NBA draft. Uh, so the Golden State's now down at thirty to one. They do get Kelly Oubre. They do have the tsunami poppy. That's worth something. Uh, however, he is not Clay Thompson. And, you know, the more you start to look at it, this bench, you know, we knew it was bad, but it's it's really rough. And, you know, if James Wiseman could come in and be good right away, that's huge for them. If, you know, if he's not, you know, Carl Anthony Towns right away as a rookie, they have some issues at center. And we're not talking bench. Like, you know, even their starting center could be a major issue. So, you know, in retrospect, the more I think about it, you know, I'm not sure I would have felt great picking the Warriors to win the title even with Clay, but I mean, what what is their ceiling and and maybe more importantly, what is their floor now uh, essentially swapping out Clay and, and grabbing Kelly Oubre? I mean, their floor is they're right back where they were this past year. I mean, they they need it just it's just how much Steph Curry are you getting and what Steph Curry are you getting and to a lesser extent how much Draymond Green and what Draymond Green are you getting, but uh, like first and foremost, like they're probably at best a borderline playoff team if Steph isn't pretty darn close to the last time we saw him version mm-hmm. of Steph. And then they still need Draymond to kind of really step it up as well. So, you know, if we're getting 90% of what those guys were doing in like 2018, then I think they're probably like a five seed uh, and, and if they stay healthy. But, you know, if Curry misses... 20 games they're not going to make the playoffs if Draymond is washed if he's as washed as he looked last year then they're probably not going to make the playoffs uh because the west is you know just stays really loaded and there's just very very little margin for error with them so I I mean I definitely think they went from being kind of 
dark horse title contenders if everything breaks right to being you know they they need to stay healthy to make the playoffs right i i think if you could guarantee me steph curry plays 68 games i would say they're locked to make the playoffs yes i don't i I just that's especially in the condensed season i just don't see that happening i mean I, i think realistically almost every game that they will play especially if it's against a western conference opponent every game they play without steph curry is probably a loss and, and if you, this is three weeks, those start to add up. And, like, the players know that they're not winning the finals this year. So, like, if if he's ever, like, not 100% or if he's ever just kind of rolled his ankle or whatever, they're going to err on the side of caution and, and keep uh, sort of hoping to thread the needle next year. Or not not this upcoming year, but the, the year after if, if Clay is able to return. But, um, I mean, you know how much I love Clay. I mean, he, he's probably one of my three or four favorite players in the league. So that that's just a huge bummer for him. And man, I I'm not a doctor, obviously, but this what? Warriors medical this Warriors medical staff has really had a pretty rough run in terms of hurt after they're returning from stuff. I mean, I don't know how much of it falls on them, but uh, just it's been a really rough run for them. Yeah, yeah, super depressing news heading into the draft. And I mean, I'm we're kind of back to where we were with Curry. Like, I was so excited to see the Curry show last year, you know, and this would have been without Clay. Uh, and we're, we're we're kind of back to that now. I I want him to come out and average like 33 a game and just be the Steph that we it feels like we haven't seen in forever. But I mean, we we've never really seen peak Steph Curry without Clay Thompson by his side. You know, you go all the way back to like the the real dawn of of the Warriors run 2013-14. Like that's when both those guys came into their own. That's that's when Draymond Green really started to emerge. Like I basically my point is that we've never truly seen Steph Curry carry a very good team over the course of an entire season. He's always had at least Clay and Draymond and, you know, at times Kevin Durant next to him. So I guess to me, it wouldn't be like overly shocking if if Steph has a great year and at the end of the day, it's just not quite enough because th- this roster around him is just so so far inferior to to what he's been used to over the last five or six years. Yeah, I, I mean, he's someone where I think the fantasy upside is through the roof. I play even just like sixty-two games or sixty-four games, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, it's just—is he going to be able? Is his body going to be able to handle that? I mean, we saw. When uh, Clay went down in the 2019 finals, like we saw Curry still had the ability to just completely change the game just by yep. being on the court. Um, so I, I'm less concerned about his quality of play when he's out there. I'm just sort of like, now that they're clearly not title contenders, is he going to play like 58 games? I mean, that that might be right. sort of where he set the over-under. Well, it's not even title contenders, but you know his last what one, two, five healthy seasons—they've been like runaway title favorites, you know. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's it's a completely different mindset um, than, than what he's been become accustomed to. So let's throw out the Lakers, Clippers, Bucks, Nets. I, I think if everything breaks right for Brooklyn, especially, it wouldn't shock anybody if if one of those four teams won the title. But if we look at Boston, Miami, Toronto is at twenty to one. Dallas is twenty two. Denver 22, Philly 25, um, and we'll, we'll, we'll include Phoenix 40 to one and Utah 40 to one. Uh, of that group of teams, did, does anybody jump out to you as as a dark horse bet that you might like? Um, you know the the Celtics, the Heat, the Mavs, the Nuggets. Uh, they're all got, they're all teams where I you know if you if you really squint, you could see them winning the title. I think. Uh, the Mavs, I think, maybe have the highest ceiling of those four. If you get, if you somehow get fully healthy, Porzingis for the. So at twenty-two to one, I don't mind the Mavs. I mean, I, I think I think Doncic is capable of being the best player in the entire playoffs. Uh, so, and you have that primary ball handler who can get his shot against anyone. That's obviously huge. So I think the Mavs at twenty-two to one are are pretty interesting. Um, the Nuggets. I, you know, I think they're, they're, they're hanging around. Uh, we saw what Jokic and Murray are capable of. Um, I just, I wonder if the Celtics are just, they just don't quite have enough with this core at this point. Um, you know, we'll see if maybe Tatum takes another step forward. I mean, if he, if he kind of solidifies himself as like a top eight player in the league this year, which is possible, then I think them at 13 to one is, 
is in play, but um, I mean, I really, I don't think the Bucks should have this much better odds than teams like the Celtics and the Mavs and the Heat and the Nuggets. I mean, we just, I don't think they did anything to to fix the issues they they had last year in the playoffs. I know Drew Holiday's an upgrade over Eric Bledsoe, but um, the amount of depth they had last year versus the amount of depth they have this year is just night and day. And back when I thought they were getting Bogdanovich, I would have put them right up there with the Lakers, but he was such a key part of that vision with him being a guy that could run pick and roll and create shots. I just, unless Giannis just really becomes a guy that, that can shoot from, from everywhere, um, especially the free throw line. I mean, if he, if he continues to shoot free throws like he did this last year, uh, and is sort of as hesitant on his jumper as he was this past year. I just don't really see them being in that mix. So I, I think their their odds are quite a bit higher than they should be, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I think most of these look about as they should. Uh, I, I'm a little lower on Toronto, but I, I understand you know them yeah. being at 20 to one. I, I feel like their run with this core, you know, as as Lowry especially gets older, you lose both your big guys, the LA teams this offseason. I feel like they'll take a step back. Uh, but yeah, once you once you get outside of that top eight or ten, as usual, it, it's pretty hard to make like an impassioned case for why the Portland Trailblazers at fifty to one will win the NBA title. Well, I do actually. I think the Blazers. <laughs> okay, never like, mind. Like so, so the Raptors at twenty to one is just ridiculous. Like that's mm-hmm. like they weren't they weren't going to win the title this past year, even though they were a great regular season team, and they're going to be worse this upcoming year than they were. Um, last year and the one thing I'll say about the Blazers is it's possible they could have the best player in any series and I, I love their offseason I mean I love Robert Covington but come on well I mean you get Nurkic for a full year and I I'm, I mean I love Derek Jones Jr. as like you just have Covington and Derek Jones Jr. as the guys that are just playing defense and mm-hmm. I'm not saying they are going to do anything but like they, I, I think the Blazers have a better chance to win in the finals than the Raptors, and they're yeah much much lower odds. No, for sure. I mean, I think like Blazers Nuggets, those those are comparable teams, yeah. especially with the, yeah. with the Nuggets losing Grant. You know, I, yeah, there shouldn't there should not be a twenty eight point difference or however you however you would phrase like, that. Why are the why are the Rockets thirty to one? Like the Rockets, they're <sighs> they're clearly not going to win the finals. <laughs> yeah, I feel like they were like thirty to one when James Harden wanted to be there. Yeah, like, yeah now like they the were reason that they're 31 doesn't even want to they had their good coach and they had everything working like then they were 30 to 1. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know I don't know who right now is looking at these and like, you know, I'm going to bet I'm feeling good about the Rockets right now. That's good value. How how confident would you be in saying that one of the Lakers, Clippers, Bucks or Nets win the finals? I'm I'm probably over fifty percent on just the two Lakers teams alone, uh, or the two LA teams. Yeah. Um, like if I could bet on one of those two being the championship, like I would take those two over the field. Um, if you expanded those four, I guess maybe like eighty-five percent, ninety percent, something like that. Okay. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I, I'm a little lower on Miami. Too. I, I think there might be a little bit of regression with the Heat, um, and we'll see. You know, maybe they'll come back and, and look like the team that ran through the East in the bubble. Uh, but I, I think there's a chance they they take a slight step back, uh, at least in the regular season. Uh, which of the LA teams do you think improved more over this last week? I, I think the the general answer has been the Lakers. Um, but as I talked about with Alex earlier, I I really really like the Luke Kennard addition for the Clippers. I think that kind of that kind of flew under the radar during the draft. Uh, and then the addition of Serge Ibaka at center was huge as well. Yeah. Um, I think the Lakers improved more for the regular season. And I think the Clippers improved more for the postseason. I think that's fair. That. Yeah. Like, like, I think this Lakers roster is just now it's just really built to, to really blow through the regular season. I think uh, they have enough depth now where, um, you know, it used to be when LeBron James was off the court, it looked like they their offense had never played together and had never been coached and had no clue what it was doing. Now, at least when LeBron's off the court, Dennis Schroeder can run pick and roll with some of these guys and, and can kind of run the offense. 
Um, so I think that that's a, a nice add. And then just the the depth they got up front now, I think is, is going to be great for the regular season. But I, I think the Clippers, they went from really having close to a disaster off season to really saving it with that Serge Ibaka signing. Um, he's just exactly what they needed. I mean, going George Leonard, Morris, Ibaka, two through four. I mean, that defense is just going to be ridiculous. So um, I think that they did a lot to, to really kind of um, address what they needed to address in terms of how this team's going to function in the playoffs. Yeah, that was well said. I, I think the Lakers avoided massively overpaying KCP. That was the biggest victory for them. It, that contract could have been worse. Could have been worse. They still overpaid a different clutch client. Well, yes. Are you, wait, are you talking about Montrez? Yeah. I don't, like, honestly, I was shocked by how low that number was. I thought, I thought they could, that, that number could have been like twice as high. Well, it shocked. It's, it's not, it wouldn't have been an overpay if the Hornets did it, but yeah. like, can he play in the fourth quarter of a finals game? Like, I, no, I just don't know. I don't think, I don't know why. I think, like you said, I think, I think, I think he did like it for this, the regular season. I'd, I'd like this roster more in the playoffs if he was just not on it at all, because I think it's going to get into a thing where they are trying to keep him happy. And so they give him more minutes than he should get. Yeah, so well, I, we saw that play out last year. I, I do think, though, I, okay, so straight up, I would rather have Ibaka than Harrell. I'll just put that yeah, out there. And let's keep in mind, we're talking about the reigning sixth man of the year. Like, this guy had value not long ago. And so I I guess the perspective that I see it is I think the Lakers bought low on Harrell, and I think there's a chance that he just gives them an awesome regular season, especially at a time when LeBron's already basically made it clear that he's going to loaf through this regular season. You know, I think they just need somebody to give, you know, if he's going to give you 17 and 8, you know, even if it means that in the finals you're going to drop him down to eight minutes a game, then so be it. And they also replaced Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee with Marcus All and Montrez Harrell. And I'm not saying Montrez Harrell is like Gandhi or anything, but I, I think there are some improvements uh, from that perspective as well. And this team, you know, adding Wes Matthews, they're, they're undoubtedly deeper. I will say I didn't love the Gasol addition and I didn't love Matthews. I think both of those guys are washed up at this point. Um, but the Lakers, by the time they got to the finals last year, were basically relying on like two and a half guys. So I, I think from that perspective, they're, they're, they're better by default. I, I, I actually like the Matthews and Gasol signings. I think like Gasol's the best player really in the league to put against Jokic. And yes, that's true. Uh, Matthews can at least compete against guys like Paul George and Kawhi Leonard to give LeBron a bit of a break. Like I'm, I'm not saying he's going to, he's just going to reprise his role with the bucks. And I mean, his, you know, he sometimes disappeared at times. Um, but I mean, he's just, he's just there to hit threes and play defense. So I, I didn't mind those. I mean, would back to Montrez quickly though, would you rather have him on this roster or Dwight Howard? Oh, come on. You can't, I mean, you can't make me pick between <laughs> big two. Uh, I think I'd rather have Montrez. I mean, Dwight was borderline unplayable by the end of the finals anyway. And I, I think Harrell is just more energetic, more impactful. Um, Dwight was, Dwight was fine. I just think they, they like skated by, by the skin of their teeth, like making that whole situation work. I, I think they were, by all accounts, they were just kind of like, all right, that's fine. You know, you got your title here, go on to Philly. I don't, I don't think they were like, you know, scrambling as an organization to keep Dwight Howard. Um, I, I think at this point I'd rather well, have Harrell, but it's a fair question. Actually, yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't have wanted to bring Dwight back just because I think now he's more competent in himself um, that you don't get him like sort of playing to stay in the right. league. You know, they needed, they needed him like really down in the dumps, which is what they got. <laughs> right. But, um, <laughs> but I, I think Dwight Howard's season that he just had is going to be better than uh, Montrezl Harrell's upcoming season is basically how I would phrase yeah. that. And I, I think, I don't know if the Lakers knew or even if they could have gotten Ibaka but if they thought they had a chance at Ibaka and chose Harrell, then I think that that's just a complete disaster. I agree. I agree. I have no idea if that's real or not. But no, I'm with you on that. Here's one more quick before we move on. Would you rather have Tristan Thompson or Montrez Harrell? And you know how I feel about Tristan Thompson. I'd take uh, Tristan Thompson. I think so, too. Because I think I... for the Lakers specifically, he makes more sense. Because you can at least defensively, you can at least play him at the five in a playoff series and uh he's played with lebron before and like you know he he's a a really bad offensive player but i just think on on this team like you could have given he could have given you pretty competent minutes at the five right if the the price is similar i would think yeah i would rather have tristan thompson but 
it's hard to argue they didn't get better during the regular season. And, and again, I think that was part of the priority uh, for the Lakers. Let's look at some of the player futures on the DraftKings Sportsbook. We'll start with Rookie of the Year. You know, you touched on the, the Cole Anthony bet earlier, and you know he was one guy that I had circled as well. Again, he's at 60 to 1. Uh, there's really not a clear favorite. You have LaMelo at 4 to 1, Edwards at plus 450, Obi Toppin at 6 to 1, Wiseman 6 to 1, Hayes 7 to 1, Abdia 15 to 1, Halliburton 15 to 1, and Okungwu at 20 to 1. I, w- I wouldn't feel super comfortable uh, betting any of those top two, Ball or Edwards. I do like Toppin, though, at 6-1 to one, just because of the situation and the NBA readiness and the fact that the Rookie of the Year award does not usually factor in defense whatsoever. Yeah, that's huge for him. Um, you know, 6-1, to one, it's you kind of would hope it was maybe a little longer than that so that you were really getting kind of advantageous odds. They're, they're definitely kind of making you pay for it a little at 6-1, to one, but... I think he's got a better chance of winning it than Anthony Edwards or James Wiseman. Um, ball at four to one's not crazy. I mean, like, I don't think he's going to shoot well from the field this year, but he could average like seven assists and like 14 points or something. That might be enough. Um, and then I really just don't like any of these mid tier guys. And then you get down to Cole Anthony at 60 to one. And I'm just like, I I would almost say he's like twelve to one to me. Like, yeah. like he's he's gonna get he comes into the league. Like how many of these guys can you even say come into the league capable of getting their own bucket right now? Like Edwards and like uh, you know a few others. Like Cole Anthony can get his own bucket, and he's just not on a team where he's gonna have to share the ball that much. So I right. I, I think he's a really nice long shot play there at sixty to one. So Wiseman at six to one, I, I could see a path there where he starts every game and is, is just really competent. You know, he's not going to he's not going to give you like 20 and 12 as a rookie. But if he averages a very efficient 11 points and seven and a half rebounds and like a block and a half and the Warriors are maybe a little better than people expect. I think there's a, a case for him as just like a, a great role player type of fit. And that would be a situation where there's no one else. You know, there's just no other clear winner, which I, I think is kind of how this maybe shapes up. Uh, Halliburton at 15 to one is interesting, especially if you think that the Kings move on from Buddy Heald at some point. Um, you know, I think that he would be kind of the Brogdon type of bet for me in this one where he's not, you know, he's not going to average 25 points. He's not going to average 10 assists, but he's just going to have really solid numbers across the board. And I think he's a player that would have like the coaches vote, you know, and, and that's not ultimately who picks this award, but I, I think that would get around and, you know, a lot of the, the, the smart people in the league, I, I could see, you know, kind of falling in love with his game. Bull Bull is also listed at 20 to 1. I'm not sure why. I, I think it must be a contract situation. He was recently converted from like whatever contract he was on last year to like a full time contract. So I guess this will now technically be his rookie year. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, I'm not sure why or how exactly he qualifies, but uh, I would not advise betting on Bull Bull, but I don't know, 20 to 1. Uh, yeah, I would. I would just not advise betting on Bull. Okay, Pokashevsky <laughs> at fifty to one. Well, see who makes these lines. Like, does the person that made these lines know who Pokashevsky is? Like, why is he? So. Why is he more likely to win Rookie of the Year than Cole Anthony? That, or Sadiq like, Bay is eighty to one. Tyrell Terry is one hundred to one. Can I bet? Can I take the under on any sort of counting stats Pokashevsky bet this year, or just like minutes played, like? <laughs> he might not even play in an NBA game this year. Like I could see him just playing the entire yeah. year in the G League. And absolutely ripping it up in the G League. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Okay. All right. So Everything before we move on, <laughs> who is your official rookie of the year pick as of November twenty-fifth? Um I'm gonna say Lamelo. I just okay. I I think I don't think any I, whoever wins rookie of the year this year, it's not going to be a good rookie season by rookie of the year standards. Yep. Uh, but I just, you have to look at someone that's going to have a fairly high usage rate. And I think he, he'll have that. He'll be the kind of the focal point of the offense by like the second month of the season. If he's not already on, on opening night. All right. Let's look at most improved player odds uh, before we get to MVP. This is an absolute minefield. Uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. is the co-favorite with Jamal Murray at 10 to 1. The Memphis Grizzlies have already announced that Jaron Jackson will not be ready for the start of the year. And they, it's, it's hard to parse words, but 
the implication was not like, hey, he's almost ready. It was like this guy could miss like a solid month plus to begin the year. Uh, so I'm going to cross him out. I think he's going to end up missing yes. too many games. I think it's absurd that he's the favorite. Yes. Um, and I also think like he didn't really get a, a ton better from year one to year two. Like th- this is some sort of shoe in, even if he was healthy. Uh, like I said, you have Murray at 10 to one, Aiton 14 to one, Kobe White 14 to one, Tyler Hero 20 to one, Malik Beasley 25, Wendell Carter 25, SGA 25, Zion Williamson 25, and Michael Porter at 30 to one. There's a, a ton of guys. There's literally probably 20 more guys in the 30 to 40 range. Uh, but I, I will save your ears and, and not read all those. Yeah, um, this is yeah. Minefield is a great word for this. Um, man, it's it's tough. I like. How do you think the voters are going to factor in what we saw from guys like Jamal Murray and Tyler Hero, like in the bubble? Like, if if those guys just like pick up where they left off, are they improving or? Right. Like, do they get credit? Is that improvement if you were already doing it at the end of the prior season? That's exactly what I said to Alex about Murray. I was like, I feel like he got too good at the end of last year, where he would have to, he would have to either sustain that, which was you know an insane usage rate uh, at the end of those playoffs, um, or do better. And I, I just don't think that's really a possibility. So I, I feel like yeah, there almost should have been like an MIP award from the end of the you know the shutdown in March to the bubble right. because it. I feel like those guys kind of missed their window. Like Tyler Hero is now expected to come in and average 15 points and, and be efficient and all that. So I, I think that ends up ultimately hurting him. Um, I really like SGA at 25 just because he now is clearly the man on a bad team. And, you know, MIP is not MVP. You know, you, if he averages 25 points and, you know, seven assists and almost two steals a game, you know, I, I think it might not matter if the Thunder only win like 15 games. Yeah, I, I I don't think he's going to just kind of keep a, a sort of linear improvement rate because mm-hmm. I think it helped him a ton having Chris Paul there to do a lot of the heavy lifting offensively. I think he, he's probably a little overtaxed as your primary ball handler. So, um, Well, yes, Pokashevsky. <laughs> One guy that stands out to me, um, and we've seen players like this win it before, is Devin Booker, where, like, it wouldn't be crazy to me if Devin Booker was, like, a top nine player in the league this year. And if he goes from borderline all-star to, like, second-team all-NBA, that might be enough for him to get some votes, especially if he is – if the Suns are winning a ton of games. Mm-hmm. Um like Michael Porter is sort of that classic, did he improve or did he just get more minutes type of most improved vote? Uh, 30 to one. I mean, those I mean, he's, terrible. Michael odds. Porter should be like 10 to one. I, I'm, I'm shocked he's at 30 to one because he seems like a, like a public type of bet too. Right. Like you're, you're going to, you know, you already have media talking about him like, oh, they can't trade him. He's, he's too right. good. Like, um, so I think he's with Jeremy Grant leaving. I, I mean, I know they're getting Will Barton back, but. Michael Porter definitely thinks he's getting 20 shots a game this year. So uh, if he's getting enough minutes to get those shots up, he's going to get those shots up. And um, so, yeah, I think 30 to one on him, 33. Um, you know, I mean, are, like with Jason Tatum, does how much of a leap does he have to take from his final, like two months of the season for it to count as improvement? Um so to me, Tatum is too good. But going back to him and, and uh, Booker, who are kind of in the same category for me, uh, one, six of the last seven most improved players have averaged at least 20 points per game. So that's a big mm-hmm. thing. I mean, it's it's one of those awards, again, that, that typically is just, you know, kind of purely stats based. There's not a lot of context. It's often if you go from averaging 17 a game to 23 a game, that that might be enough. Uh, so there's there is a case for for guys like that who could who could jump up in terms of scoring. And I'm now going to read you the last eight most approved players. These are not, you know, I'm looking at the odds now. These are not Gary Trent types. These are not uh, Mo Bamba types. Here, here they are. Brandon Ingram, Pascal Siakam, Victor Oladipo, Giannis, CJ McCollum, Jimmy Butler, Goran Dragic, Paul George. All those guys are at the very least borderline stars. You know, who's the worst player of that group? Probably Goran Dragic. Yeah. 
And he, I mean, he won it at age 27 too. Almost all those other guys, everybody else won it between age 22 and 25. So if you, if you kind of want to use, you know, recent history as your guide, you want to look for somebody in their third to sixth year who is probably going to average 20 points and is maybe a borderline all-star. Okay. Let me give you a couple that I think are interesting that are 80 to one or, or longer. Uh, All right. Jalen Brown at 80 to one. Love it. Um, How is he 80 to one? Yeah. I like, I think he could make the all-star team this year. Like, I mean, I almost was very close to making it last year. Yeah. Yeah. That's Um, a great, yeah. I love it. And then, uh, McCall Bridges at a hundred to one. Like what if he makes like second team all defense or something like that? Um, Doable. And then uh, McCall Bridges has worse odds than Jordan Poole. And uh, Justice Winslow at a hundred to one, um, just because he's been like pretty much nothing in recent memory. And if he were fairly healthy and that might be a good situation for him, but you know, those, those are, I think you can really get fun with some of the long shots here because there's no real rhyme or reason to Jalen Brown being 80 to one. Like why like he's better than almost every player ahead of him on these. Well, these and I think I would argue that he's in like the perfect position to win this award. Like he, yeah. he's not like Tatum's too good to win it. I, and I think Jalen Brown is like, he fits that like, perfect hole. Yeah. You get Hayward out of there. Like, you know, those two guys could be, like I could see Jalen Brown averaging like twenty four a game and getting some all defense buzz and stuff. I mean, there's there's some interesting names lower on this list. Like You're I, I like Tyler. Like I think Tyler Hero is closer to the player we saw in the bubble than the player we saw before the bubble. So I just don't know what the mindset of voters is going to be. I think Hero makes sense. I think Michael Porter makes sense. Um, but there's there's a lot of interesting names lower down. All right, last one. I want to I want to hit on Zion at twenty five to one. I, I think people will want he will he will almost come in as like the incumbent. Like I think people want Zion. He didn't win Rookie of the Year. You know, we only got to see a glimpse of him. I I, I think like if he just like he doesn't have to do as much as these other guys on the list would have to do to win it. You know, if he just comes in, stays healthy, and even if he isn't that good on D, and he gives you like twenty two and eight, I think he wins it in a landslide. Twenty two and eight. You think he'd win it? I just think I mean, people want it, him to win it so badly but, that the standards will be lower for Zion. I just think people's expectations for him, like I think expectations is kind of the key to winning this award. Like if people think you're going to have an awesome season and you have an awesome season, are you going to win most improved? Like no. I, I think I, I see where you're, like I, people want to put Zion on everything. Like people are going to want to put him on their first team and their, you know, everything. So I, I, I get where you're coming from, but it's just like, he's either going to be healthy and in shape or he's not going to be. And if he's healthy and in shape, he's going to get like down ballot MVP votes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's fair. The other names I would throw out and then we can move on. Christian Wood at 33 to one, I think is interesting. And with him now yeah. at Houston, I have to say it, RJ Barrett at 50 to one. Uh, although with the way this roster is coming together, I don't maybe love that as much as I thought I would. Um, He's a good one though, because expectations are so low. Like, if RJ Barrett just has like a good year, he'll get both. Yeah. He has the same odds as Josh Jackson, who's also at 50 to 1. Um, I, and here's one I actually like a lot Mitchell Robinson. If he finally just plays 30 minutes, I think that, like, he's like the perfect candidate for the numbers to just, you know, if he just does exactly what he's been doing the last two years and just plays more minutes, it's going to look like he made a huge leap. Yeah. I, I think uh, I actually like Mitchell Robinson, I think, more than I like. Barrett. I mean, the problem with Barrett is, I mean, you know, I don't, I don't think he's very good, but they didn't, they're just not giving him any opportunity for success with this roster. Like, has there been a roster with less shooting on it in the modern NBA? Like this, it's, it's a joke. Yeah. It's yeah. He's in, he's in a terrible spot. All right. Let's finish out with MVP. Uh, not a lot of changes here either. Luca is now a slight favorite over Giannis. Luca's at plus 440. Giannis at plus 475. Curry at eight to one, Davis eight to one, LeBron ten to one, Durant sixteen, Harden sixteen, Butler twenty, Jokic twenty, Kawhi twenty, Lillard twenty, and Jason Tatum uh, all at twenty to one. Uh, it's interesting to me that LeBron has slipped a little bit, uh, although I think that's totally warranted. I don't think I think he was originally like six or seven to one, um, and I, I think he's just this isn't going to be a regular season where he he guns for the MVP. So I, I think that's a bad bet. Um, 
I, I don't like Harden at 16 to one either. I think there's just too much going on there. I, I think his like approval rating, it, whether he gets traded or not, his approval rating is going to take a, a hit and it wasn't super high before. So I, I don't think that lends well to him in the voting. Um, so I guess the first question is, you know, are you going, if you, if you had to put down a hundred bucks right now, would you put it on anyone other than Luca, Luca or Giannis? Yeah, I'd put it on Anthony Davis. Okay. I think he, I think it's just setting up really well for him because I think, uh, you know, LeBron of all the players in the league, LeBron probably wanted the season to start in December less than anyone. And so now he, you know, he, he kind of saw last season that having the best, I mean, last season was probably the best regular season he's capable of having at this stage of his career. And he still didn't win the MVP. Mm-hmm. So I can't imagine he thinks it's realistic for him to win it again, to win it this year uh, by even just doing what he did last year again. So I think he will take some strategic games off uh, to try to stay fresh. You know, I think having Dennis Schroeder there will allow him to do that. And I mean, the Anthony Davis we saw in the bubble was playing at an MVP level uh, offense, defense. I mean, voters have gotten a lot better at factoring in defense uh, when it when it's close at the top of the ballot. And uh, I mean, he could kind of do what Giannis did this past year and win MVP and defensive player of the year if he mm-hmm. stays healthy. So uh, I, you know, voters never vote a guy three times in a row. So, I mean, Giannis is just going to, he could win it. Like if he, if he shoots 70% from the line and 37% from three, he could win it. But He's going to have to do that type of thing, I think, to win it for a third year in a row. Curry could definitely win it if he stays healthy. So you're kind of just making a bet there on on how many games does he play. He probably would have to carry them to like a top five seed, I would say, to win MVP. Uh, Luka, I get why he's the favorite. Um, You know, he's going to have to stay healthy and probably get them a top five seed to win it. But to me, Anthony Davis is just so such a complete player. He's in his absolute prime. He's on a roster that's that's going to allow him to have a lot of success. So I, I think Davis at 8-1 to one makes a lot of sense. So here's my case for Giannis. And I, I don't think this will happen for a number of reasons. But two years ago, 2017-18, he played just under 37 minutes per game. And this past season and the year before, uh, you know, that number went down pretty dramatically. He was barely over 30, 30 minutes per game uh, in 2019-20, 30.4. If you prorate last season's numbers to 36 minutes, Giannis finishes with 35 points, 16 rebounds, 6.6 assists, 1.1 steals, 1.2 blocks, and you know we know the efficiency numbers. I, again, I don't think they're going to play him, especially in a condensed season. There's really no reason for the Bucks, who will be, again, a very good regular season team, to play him 36 minutes. But if, if for some reason he did, I think the numbers would be so overwhelming that he could, he could totally win it a third time. I think that's a solid case. Uh, the counter is that Bud didn't even want to play him 36 minutes a game in yeah, deciding sure. playoff games. So, uh, <laughs> like, and then he would get asked about it, and he'd be like, "Yeah, well, they were at the cap, you know, couldn't, yeah. couldn't play him more than that." Um, right. So, you should assume he plays more, but I think your point is very fair that if he does play more, those numbers are just going to be insane. In terms of the longer shots, I, I think Lillard at 20 to one. Uh, it makes some sense, especially in this type of season. He almost never misses games. You know, I think you can cross out a few of these guys, you know, Kawhi, LeBron, you know, Jimmy Butler is 20 to one. Like those guys are just going to miss too much time and probably knock themselves out of it. Uh, but Lillard probably won't, you know, and if the Blazers are the three or the four in the West, I think he'll have a case. Uh, Tatum at 20 to one is relatively interesting. I don't like Booker at 30 to one because I think the arrival of Paul means that even if they hit their ceiling, you know, the credit probably gets split two ways. Um, beyond that, I don't know. And this is how this is always the case. I mean, you're not going to find it. You're not going to find an MVP bet that you love at, you know, 150 to one. No, I think MVP is spot. I mean, finals winner, I think, is another one. But MVP, you really shouldn't be looking past the top like six guys it's just it's going to come from there it, it pretty much always does so which of those top six guys plays like 75 plus games i mean that that's pretty much what it's going to come down to i like your your case for davis i think i would put my money on kd 16 to 1 i think there's just enough value there obviously they're factoring in you know the concern about the injury but i i like that the nets 
at least to date, don't have James Harden on the roster, I think that would be ultimately more trouble than it's worth. And I think if they roll with this team, I think Durant's going to have a monster year. And, you know, kind of like Zion with Rookie of the Year, I, I think I think there's going to be a lot of people pulling for Kevin Durant. And, right. you know, maybe that lowers the standard for him a little bit. Yeah, I was going to say, like, the media is just going to be falling all over themselves to pat him on the back if he's looking like his old self. That's what I'm saying, right. So, yeah. And I, uh, I think whereas, like, Giannis has to outdo himself, you know, Luca has some concerns. Uh, obviously, the roster for Curry is not great. Um, I don't know. I, I think if Durant stays healthy, I think he has a really good shot. So that, at 16 to 1 is good value. Fair enough. All right. I think that should wrap it up, James. Appreciate you hopping on this afternoon on relatively short notice to break this stuff down. Uh, we'll have this up in video form on YouTube and then in the normal podcast feed as well. Thanks, Ben. Yep. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.